Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Tuesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I'm your host, literally Heather. Uh, Good morning, everyone. I hope your new year has gotten off to a great start to include some sort of traditional meal to ward off the bad juju in 2024. Uh, Ever since I was a little girl, my mom always made cabbage on New Year's Day and put a dime in there for someone to find. And that was always going to be like the good luck and the money was coming your way. I didn't even get the cabbage this year. So I have a feeling I have miscalculated And it's only day two, but we'll figure it out. Uh, Palmetto State Armory deal of the day is a 10 and a half inch pistol kit with MBUS rear sight for only $439.99. All you need is a receiver and you will have yourself a nice affordable pistol. The link is in the show description. Please check that out. Um, I think they still have quite a few of their uh, New Year's sales up. So definitely go check that out. Sadly, one of the first countries to ring in the new year is off to a rough start. Japan had a 7.6 magnitude earthquake that hit yesterday afternoon. Japan on Tuesday struggled to assess the full extent of the damage. And remember, they're like a day ahead of us. So when I say Tuesday, it was actually yesterday. Um, To assess the full extent of damage from an earthquake that struck its west coast, killing at least eight people, wrecking buildings and roads, knocking out power to swaths of homes in freezing temperatures. Thousands of army personnel, firefighters, and police officers from across the country have been dispatched to the worst-hit area in the relatively remote Noto Peninsula. However, rescue efforts have been hindered by badly damaged and blocked roads, and one of the area's airports has been forced to close due to runway cracks. Many rail services and flights into the area have also been suspended. The search and rescue of those impacted by the earthquake is a battle against time, Prime Minister Fumio Kishida said during an emergency disaster meeting on Tuesday. Kishida said rescuers were finding it very difficult to reach the northern tip of the Noto Peninsula due to wrecked roads, and that helicopter surveys had discovered many fires and widespread damage to buildings and infrastructure. Public broadcaster NHK said eight deaths had been reported in the hard-hit town of Wajima near the quake's epicenter, while in nearby Suzu, some doctors were unable to reach a hospital that was relying on a backup generator for power. The National Police Agency said six people have been confirmed dead, and the Fire and Disaster Management Agency said 19 people We're in a state of cardiac arrest. More than 90 tremors have been detected since the quake first hit on Monday, according to the Japan Meteorological Agency. The agency has warned that more strong shocks could hit in the coming days. In Toyoma City, around 100 kilometers or 60 miles from the worst hit area, some shelves and convenience stores were emptied as the disaster disrupted the delivery of goods across the region. President Joe Biden has said in a statement that the U.S. is ready to provide any necessary help to Japan after the earthquake as close allies 
The United States and Japan share a deep bond, a friendship that unites our people. Our thoughts are with the Japanese people during this difficult time, he said. The Japanese government ordered more than 97,000 people to evacuate their homes on Monday night, sending them to sports halls, school gymnasiums, commonly used as evacuation centers in emergencies. Many have now returned to their homes as authorities have lifted the tsunami warnings, but around 33,000 households remain without power in Ishikawa Prefecture early on Tuesday morning, and most areas in the northern Noto Peninsula also have no water supply. The quake comes at a sensitive time for Japan's nuclear industry, which has faced fierce opposition from some locals since the 2011 earthquake and tsunami that triggered nuclear meltdowns in Fukushima. While towns were devastated in that disaster, the Nuclear Regulation Authority said no irregularities were found at nuclear plants along the Sea of Japan, including five active reactors at Kansai Electric Power. Ohi and Takahama plants in Fukui uh, Prefecture and Hokuriku Electric Shika plant the closest to the epicenter of these names, man, had already halted its two reactors before the quake for regular inspections and saw no impact from the quake. Chip materials maker Kokusai Electric said that it's investigating further after finding damage at its factory in Toyama ahead of the planned resumption of operations on Thursday. couple takeaways as California also had multiple earthquakes to ring in the new year, It wouldn't be a bad idea to polish up your emergency supplies should you find yourself in the same situation or something similar. At least a few weeks worth of food and water, perhaps a generator, could be the difference between life and death in a situation like this. Speaking of life and death situations, South Korea's main opposition party leader, Lee Jae-myung, was attacked with a knife on live television during a visit to the southern city of Busan on Tuesday. Lee was touring the construction site of the Gadeokdo <laughs> New Airport. I'm so used to Russian names. Now I'm getting into Asian names and I'm not doing so great. Um, New Airport, when he was struck on the left side of his neck while speaking to a crowd of reporters. The Democratic Party official said that Lee was bleeding but conscious, and had been taken to the hospital. The police in Busan said the assailant had been detained, but they did not provide any details about Mr. Lee's condition or the motives of the attacker. As of this writing and recording, there has still been no official statement about Mr. Lee's condition, but the local news reports suggest that his injury is not life-threatening. Footage from the attack showed the assailant approaching Mr. Lee, through a group of TV camera operators, apparently posing as one of his supporters. He was even wearing a crown-shaped hat that said the words, I am Lee Jang Myung. Mr. Lee was narrowly defeated by Yoon Suk-yeol, a conservative in the South Korea's last presidential election in 2022. He has since been subjected to a series of investigations by state prosecutors on corruption and other criminal charges. He denied all the charges against him and went on a 19-day hunger strike in protest, accusing Mr. Yoon of using the criminal justice system to intimidate his political opponents. 
A court refused to allow prosecutors to arrest Mr. Lee, but he faces the prospect of a series of trials. Wouldn't it be some crazy sauce if he was pulling a Jesse Smollett and having someone attack him? (laughs) Mr. Yoon expressed deep concern about Mr. Lee's safety after the attack on Tuesday, ordering his government to carry out a quick investigation and to provide support for the opposition leader's medical treatment, the president's office said in a statement. The president emphasized that this form of violence should not be tolerated under any circumstances in our society, the statement said. South Korean politics have become increasingly polarized in recent years, and rancor between Mr. Yoon's supporters and Mr. Lee's has been rising with the approach of parliamentary elections in April. Oh, so like everyone else in the world. But physical attacks on politicians have been uncommon. In 2006, the conservative politician Park Geun-hye, then an opposition leader, was slashed in the face with a box cutter by a man who had been vehement in criticism of her, and Mrs. Park went on to win the 2012 presidential election. In 2015, a self-styled nationalist who had expressed anti-American sentiments cut the face of Mark Lepert, then the United States ambassador to South Korea with a kitchen knife. The statement in this article, quote, physical attacks on politicians have been uncommon is interesting. Once again, there is a suggestion that politicians are a protected class of individuals. They aren't. Every day that you and I walk outside, we risk running into crazy people and are tasked with being prepared to defend ourselves against those people. Politicians are no different. And frankly, at the risk of sounding like I'm Fed posting, I would argue they deserve to have a heightened risk considering they are tasked with representing their electorate. If they're found to not be doing so, it would be a natural deduction to think that their risk would be elevated. I anticipate due to extreme polarization and lack of any sort of accountability we will see more of this around the world in the years to come. As a matter of fact, as we're discussing the people abandoning their idols, President Biden is heading into 2024 with a large coalition of the vote the blue no matter who voters leaving him behind. A USA Today Suffolk Suffolk University poll indicates that Biden is trailing Trump 37% to 39% due to his inability to hold down the coalition of voters that have been tried and true in the past. He is hemorrhaging support from Black voters, young voters, and Hispanic voters. How bad, you ask? Among Black voters, Biden's support has declined to 63%, down from 87% in 2020. He still leads Trump's 12% support by a large margin, But a decrease of 24% is nothing to thumb your nose at. Voters under 35 and Hispanic voters have jumped to support Trump, with the former president leading in both of those demographics. Trump now leads Biden 37% to 33% among young voters and 39% to 34% among Hispanic voters, according to the poll. No wonder Democrats are starting to have an issue with immigration. 
Biden's slip in the key demographic spells bad news for his re-election campaign, as other recent polls show him struggling to beat Trump in several swing states. The president's approval numbers remain underwater, according to this new poll. Nearly 39% of voters say that they approve Biden's job in the Oval Office, 58% disapproved. He fared slightly better than Vice President Kamala Harris, who had a 33% approval rating with a 57% disapproval rating. I guess when your only notable career accomplishment is blowing your boss and imprisoning people for long periods of time for nonviolent offenses, it's hard to be considered likable. The poll also shows some positivity for Biden in terms of the economy, which voters say is an important issue in the upcoming election cycle. 29% of respondents said they viewed the economy as in recovery, which is up from 21% in October. He also is the clear frontrunner in the Democratic primary and faces no serious challenge. Uh, That's because they haven't allowed anyone to challenge him. Biden is polling at 74% among likely Democratic voters, compared to self-help author Marianne Williamson at 9% and Rep. Dean Phillips at 2%. 15% of respondents said that they were undecided. Phillips is aiming to get traction in New Hampshire, the first primary state in the country on January 23rd, where the DNC's disagreement with the state over the voting calendar led to Biden not being on the ballot. Come November, Biden's challenge will be to get enough support in swing states and in the large number of voters that say they are dissatisfied with either party. Because it's all one party. 17% of voters would rather vote for a third-party candidate than for Trump or Biden. 17%. That's a wild number, you guys. While 20% of Black and Hispanic voters and 21% of young voters say that they would cast their vote for someone else. Y'all, that's that's wild. That is a clear indication that the American people are rejecting the options that you are you are currently facing for us, or that we are currently facing, whatever. Um, in a larger field of seven candidates, Trump jumps to 39% of support compared to Biden's 34. Independent candidate Robert Kennedy Jr. had the most support out of the third-party options, with 10% of respondents saying that they would choose him in the seven-candidate lineup. The legal battles have not diminished Trump's support. His polling numbers started to actually climb significantly in March after the Manhattan DA issued the first indictment relating to the hush money. Trump's support seems to be more fervent for the former commander-in-chief compared to Biden, as 44% of respondents said they would rate their Trump support as a 10. Biden received a mere 18% of voters saying the same. I think it's safe to say that the course of the next election year, so we're we're in 2024 now, it's going to be a wild ride from, from now until November. Um, Speaking of wild rides, U.S. energy giant ExxonMobil Corp. has formally exited the West Kurna One oil field in southern Iraq, Iraq, 
and handed over its operations to PetroChina as lead contractor, a deputy oil minister told Reuters on Monday. Senior Iraqi oil officials met with executives from ExxonMobil, PetroChina, and Basra Oil on Monday at the West Kerna One field near Basra to mark Exxon's complete exit and the handover of its operations to PetroChina. Quote, we are meeting today to bid farewell to ExxonMobil, and at the same time, we congratulate PetroChina for becoming the lead contractor. Basim Mohammed, who is the deputy oil minister for upstream affairs, said at the field, PetroChina holds the largest stake in the field after the departure of Exxon. Last year, Iraq signed a sale agreement to acquire 22.7% of ExxonMobil's stake in West Kerna One by Iraq's state-run Basra Oil Company, while Indonesia's state-owned Pertamina bought the remaining 10% of Exxon's stake, increasing its share to 20%. I don't know if this was a good move or a bad move uh, for us to lose this, but it kind of stings to watch us lose to China again. But I'm sure we'll be buying unsustainable batteries from them while we cut our own noses off despite our faces And we won't open leases here in the U.S., so I think we'll be great. The final settlement recently reached between Iraq's oil ministry and Exxon has served the interest of both parties, Mohammed said. West Kerna One currently produces around 550,000 barrels per day. It is one of the world's largest oil fields, with recoverable reserves estimated at more than 20 billion barrels. Iraq and PetroChina plan to boost production to 600,000 barrels per day at the end of 2024. Following its exit from West Kerna One, Exxon will have no presence in Iraq's energy sector. But the deputy oil minister said the government is keen to invite ExxonMobil to play a role in developing future energy products. It's like a pat on the head. It's okay, you lost... We'll let you try again later. Okay, not to be super black pilly from the jump, but states across the country are ringing in the new year with laws that are set to take effect through 2024. And you know how much I love laws enacted by people that don't have to actually follow them. They're my favorite. A growing number of states will require financial literacy classes in high school, A handful of others will add contraceptive access by eliminating the need for physician prescriptions. I mean, what do we even need doctors for anymore? But I digress. Okay, here we go. Starting in January, California will require retailers in the state to include gender-neutral toy sections in their stores. These new sections will not be allowed to be marketed to just boys or girls, but must include a, quote, reasonable selection of toys that could be marketed to children of either sex. Because it's apparently really hard to just walk down the aisle and let your kid pick out whatever toy they want from whatever aisle they want. We needed a law for it. Mind you, The law will not require the stores to eliminate their boy or girl-focused sections, but rather 
add to the toy sections to include ones that would reasonably apply to children of any gender. Retailers will be fined $250 for not following the law, followed by $500 fines for repeat offenses. The sponsor of the bill, Evan Lowe, said in a statement that the measure would, quote, make it easier to compare similar items for sale at large retailers without reinforcing gender stereotypes that harm vulnerable children. These people exist, and they're running our governments. This is what they spend your money on, passing laws like this. As if, what what are they going to do? So Play-Doh, the Play-Doh aisle, Play-Doh could be for boys or girls. So you you have to, are you going to have duplicate? Are you going to move the Play-Doh to a different aisle? Or are you going to put it in both places that it's currently located? Because all I see right now is you're getting ready to screw up the stores so I can't find anything is what's getting ready to happen. I'm not going to be happy about that. Just letting you know. Okay. <sighs> Sorry. Next up, Illinois says hold my beer and will become the first state to enforce a law to outlaw book bans. The law requires the state librarian and library staff members to adopt the American Library Association's Library Bill of Rights statewide. The document states that reading materials, quote, should not be proscribed or removed because of partisan or personal disapproval. Public libraries that don't adopt the association's language or develop similarly worded prohibitions will be ineligible for state grants. An increasing number of books have been quote-unquote banned in several states, with the nonprofit free speech advocacy group PEN America finding 3,362 instances of individual books being banned in the 2022 to 2023 school year, affecting 1,557 unique titles, a 33% increase from the previous academic year. The groups report lists Texas, Florida, Missouri, Utah, and South Carolina as the states where the bans were most prevalent. I love that word ban has completely lost its meaning. I was in a books a, million, books a Million store with my daughter picking out Christmas gifts, and there was a huge sign that said banned books, and then it had a bunch of books on the shelves below it. And she looked at me and said, why does that sign say banned if you can still buy the books? She's 11 and obviously more intelligent than the majority of the political leadership in the state of Illinois. PEN America's report said 30% of the banned titles during the first half of the 2022-2023 school year were books about race or racism or books that featured characters of color. Another 26% of the books had LGBTQ characters or themes. In addition, a wider array of titles have been affected by bans this year, 44% of them portray portray violence and abuse. 38% discuss topics of health and well-being. I I, I wonder what health and well-being actually means. Uh, 30% cover death and grief. 
The result of the school districts responding to, quote, vague legislation by removing large numbers of books prior to any formal review, the report said. The concept of banning books contradicts the very essence of what our country stands for, said Illinois Secretary of State Alexei Giannoulias, Giannoulias, I don't even know how to say his name, who initiated the legislation and serves as the state librarian. It also defies what education is all about, teaching our children to think for themselves. Did you catch that? The man who initiated the legislation is the Secretary of State and also serves as the state librarian that gets to write the American Library Association's Library Bill of Rights. Your district doesn't want your students accessing books with adult themes? Too bad. Read the porn, kids. I know what's best for your children, even though I have none of my own to speak of. Uh, New York State will ban pet stores from selling dogs, cats, and rabbits this year to protect the animals from poor treatment and conditions in some commercial breeding operations that critics call puppy meals. So let me let me go back to this real fast. I just want to like tell you one more time. They're banning pet stores from selling dogs, cats, rabbits so that they can protect the animals from poor treatment and conditions in commercial breeding operations. The law doesn't bar the shops from showcasing animals derived from shelters for purposes of adoption, however. So there is this notion that the puppy mills are going to stop breeding animals for money because the pet stores can't sell them, rather than them going on Craigslist and selling their puppy mill puppies or rabbits or, or cats or whatever. Um, oh, God, man. It's like logic just flies out the window. Kevin O'Neill is the vice president of state affairs for the American Society of the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, and said that New York has among the highest concentrations of pet stores that sell cats, dogs, and rabbits, making the new law important for animal rights. Animal rights, not the rights of the store owners who pay taxes. The stores prioritize profit over actually caring for the animals. They're selling them. The people who should be caring for the animals are the people purchasing them. I don't, I don't understand. O'Neill said, adding that he believes public opinion has shifted and prospective pet owners want to know where their animals are coming from and whether they're being treated humanely. The ASPCA released a poll in April of 2022 that found that 77% of Americans support federal legislation that would end puppy mills. So end the puppy mills. Like you're punishing the pet store owners for the actions of the puppy mills. Jessica Selmer, who is the president of People United to Protect Pet Integrity, which is a New York coalition of pet store owners, said after the legislation passed that the law was, quote, careless and counterproductive, adding she hopes the governor will consider legislative remedies 
to some of the pitfalls of the bill. And next up, we have Michigan's legislature passing a package of infringements under the guise of, quote, for your own good, that is set to go in effect early this year. The package passed in the Democratic-controlled legislature, largely along party lines, includes red flag laws, stricter background checks, safe gun storage requirements, and a ban on those convicted of domestic violence from buying, owning, or transporting firearms for eight years. Gretchen Whitmer said the passage of the new laws honored those we have lost with common sense gun violence prevention legislation, or word vomit salad, supported by a majority of Michiganders. Monisha Henley, the senior vice president of government affairs at the gun violence prevention group Every Town for Gun Safety, said Democrats were able to act swiftly to get the package passed and signed after they secured the majority in the legislature in the 2022 midterm elections. The sense of urgency followed the mass shootings at Oxford High School and Michigan State University. Henley said she believes Michigan's new laws can serve as an example for other states, given that the state has everything from large city to a rural population, to high gun ownership, ma'am. Just because you rammed the legislation through with your majority doesn't mean the people in your state actually support it or that it's even legal, as the Second Amendment clearly states, shall not be infringed. And y'all obviously cannot read. Uh, Four more states will begin requiring financial literacy courses in high schools in 2024. Georgia, Indiana, Minnesota, and West Virginia. They join a growing list of others that have already instituted such requirements or will begin mandating such courses in coming years. Financial literacy courses or personal finance courses seek to educate students about how to earn, spend, save, borrow, and protect their money as adults. In Georgia and West Virginia, all juniors and seniors will be required to take at least a half-credit financial literacy course to graduate. Meanwhile, all students at public, charter, or state-accredited non-public schools in Indiana will be required to successfully complete a personal financial responsibility course before they graduate. Minnesota students entering high school in 2024 or later will have to pass a personal finance course during grades 10, 11, or 12. While legislators are joining the trend in putting more emphasis on personal finance education in high schools, advocates are still pushing for more involved requirements on the topic. Vince Shorb, who is the CEO of the National Financial Educators Council, said that financial literacy should be taught like the main courses, such as math or science arguing that one semester of learning isn't enough. Students are all going to need to manage their money in some way, Shorb said. Financial literacy needs to be taken more seriously. It should not be lost on you (laughs) that governments requiring high school students to learn how to manage money when they themselves have questionable financial literacy considering the way they spend taxpayer dollars, that said, I actually don't hate this one. I like the idea of kids learning basic financial literacy and money management. 
I like the idea of parents teaching their children this, but there are parents who are living in thousands of dollars of credit card debt and probably are not the best teachers at this point. And last but not least, the FDA's decision in July to approve the first non-prescription oral contraceptive is expected to allow access to birth control to expand widely in 2024 once the new drug O-Pill hits the shelves. Meanwhile, states are also expanding access to prescription hormonal birth control by allowing pharmacists to prescribe such contraceptives rather than doctors. Since 2016, at least 29 states have passed legislation to allow pharmacists to prescribe hormonal birth control options without doctors, with measures in Rhode Island and New Jersey set to go into effect in 2024, allowing people to seek, excuse me, hormonal birth control without making doctor's appointments. New laws in Montana and Nevada, meanwhile, will allow people to access an extended supply of contraceptives. In Montana, the law will ensure that insurance coverage allows people to receive 12-month prescriptions for contraceptives. In Nevada, which has already made contraceptive prescriptions available through pharmacists and allows 12-month supplies, it will become illegal for the government to put limits or requirements in place that would block people's access to birth control or reproductive health services. The new laws come amid heightened concerns over whether the most commonly used drug for medication abortions will continue to be easily available and whether access to abortion procedures will be more generally available in the wake of the Supreme Court's June decision to defer to states' rights on abortion. In December, the Supreme Court agreed to consider the Biden administration and drug maker appeals defending FDA decisions that made it easier to access the mifepristone pill. Someday, ask me my conspiracy theory on birth control. Okay, I just want to touch on these last two things, and then I'm going to wrap it up. I apologize for the long show today. First of all, Snoop Dogg has been tapped to host the Olympic primetime analysis for NBC's Olympics this summer. The move follows his acclaimed streaming-only commentary of the 2020 Summer Olympics in Tokyo, provided alongside comedian Kevin Hart on Peacock. He said, I grew up watching the Olympics. I'm thrilled to see the incredible athletes bring their A-game to Paris. It's a celebration of skill, dedication, and the pursuit of greatness. We're going to have some amazing competitions, and of course, I'll be bringing that Snoop style to the mix. It's going to be the most epic Olympics ever, so stay tuned and keep it locked. Opening ceremony for the Paris Olympics is currently scheduled to take place on July 26th. I haven't tuned in for anything really other than gymnastics, for obvious reasons, the last few go-rounds, but I might actually watch this time just for fun. And the second thing I wanted to touch on real fast, the earliest versions of Mickey and Minnie Mouse now belong to the American people. The characters as they appear in the animated short films Steamboat Willie and Plain Crazy have now entered the U.S. public domain as of yesterday, along with thousands of other works from 1928. Legal experts at Duke University say the Walt Disney Company still retains the copyrights 
to later iterations of the mouse, mice, the mice for time, the time being, as well as the trademarks, but people are free to copy, share, and build on the 1928 depictions of the pair. Public Domain Day is observed annually on the first day of the year to mark the expiration of copyrights for older works. Laws and the length of protections vary by country. Works published in 1928 were supposed to enter the public domain in 2004, but after lobbying efforts by Disney and other copyright holders, Congress passed the 1998 Copyright Term Extension Act and added another 20 years of protection. When a work goes into the public domain, it can legally be shared and repurposed without permission or fees. This can result in unexpected, if not humorous, adaptations of beloved material. For example, when A.A. Milne's uh, Winnie the Pooh became public property in 2022, a horror film followed soon after with a slasher spin on the honey-obsessed bear. Tigger has now joined his pal Pooh Bear in the land of public domain this year. The character first appeared in The House at Pooh Corner, whose copyright expired on Monday. Other notable works now in the public domain include J. M. Barry's Peter Pan play, the Hercule Poirot novel The Mystery of the Blue Train by Agatha Christie, and the silent film The Circus, starring and directed by Charlie Chaplin. Also going in is the DHS E.D.H. Lawrence novel Lady Chatterley's Lover and Virginia Woolf novel Orlando, a biography. The music and lyrics to Cole Porter's Let's Do It, Let's Fall in Love are also now public property. Guess what becomes one with the people next year? Popeye the Sailor Man, and I'm here for it. Also going public in 2025 are Renee Marguerite's Painting the Treachery of Images and the first Marx Brothers film and the first English translation of Eric Maria Remarks, All Quiet on the Western Front. That is your Tuesday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. Sorry, it's kind of long. I love you guys. You guys take care. Have a wonderful Tuesday and I'll see you tomorrow. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.